0: Hebrews chapter 11, let's begin in verse 1, we're going to read down through verse 6. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, of them that diligently seek him. Now, this is a passage that we're all familiar with. In here, uh, You going to church any length of time, you've heard a message or two out of this, or at least heard it quoted. And I said this last week. But if someone were to ask you uh, what two what two parts of Hebrews you're most familiar with, you'd probably say Hebrews 4:12, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And then you'd probably mention Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the Hall of Faith. Um, But, I I hope that this evening, what we uncover, what we talk about, discuss, will maybe deepen your knowledge of uh, this passage. It's always good to take a familiar passage and and understand it uh, to its fullest. Let's have a word of prayer this uh, evening, and we'll get into the Bible study. Lord, would you help us to understand the passage? But, Lord, my prayer is that this would not just be aimed at our heads, while we'll parse words and we'll look at some theology More importantly, may it affect our heart, may it affect our lifestyle, may it affect our living, may visible change result, may we leave here different than we were before we came in, with more of a commitment to live our life by faith. Lord, I don't want to be that child of yours that doesn't please you, I want to be one of those children that do please you, and I believe that's all of our sentiment. And so Lord, help us to have an honest evaluation of our lives this evening. Help us to make adjustments accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go back up with me to Hebrews chapter 10, uh, right at the end of the chapter there, and look at verse number 38. It says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Uh, But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now those verses are very important in understanding the context of Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Here, what Paul is saying in verse number 38 is that there are two options. That you can live by faith, uh, or that you can live by sight. This verse, uh, 38, is a quote from Habakkuk chapter 2 in verse 4. Now, the author of Hebrews here is doing something very masterful. Uh, He is proving, he's going to lay out a case and prove That salvation has never been about the works of Judaism. Even within Judaism, it was supposed to be about faith. And that all of the people who they have made a big deal out of in the Judaism religion, they are not in heaven because of Judaism. They are in heaven because of faith in, in the Messiah, faith in the coming Messiah and that salvation for them works the same way. Now, instead of looking forward to the cross as those mentioned in chapter 11, uh we look back to the cross. Now, we look back 2000 years, but understand these people look back 50 or 60 years. In fact, many of them were alive and knew who Jesus was. Uh uh they would have uh, they would have had some acquaintance or at least uh, a distant acquaintance with with Christ, and so that phrase, "The just shall live by faith," comes from the minor prophet Habakkuk, and that verse is quoted three times in the New Testament. The just shall live by faith. The first time it's quoted, the emphasis is put on the just. The second time it's quoted is in Galatians. The emphasis is put on shall live and talking about how we live. And this time, the emphasis is put on by faith. And so that is the segue that takes us into chapter 11. Yes, you can have religion, but religion without faith is is just phony. It's empty. It means nothing. And unfortunately, the world today is filled with religion, and our churches are filled with religious people, but these are people that don't please God. Who did Jesus go after the hardest when he walked the earth? He went after the religious people the hardest. Those were the people he blasted. He, he knelt down and he helped uh, publicans. Remember, he spent the afternoon with Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a thief. But then when he got in the presence of of, of Pharisees, he didn't parse words. He he laid it on them hard. And so we must be careful. Someone asked me this question, um, or I, I believe it was Brother Esposito. We had him here for a missions conference in March of 2017. And Brother Esposito said this in his message. He said, if Jesus were walking the earth today and he were going to go after the religious phonies, we must ask ourselves this question. Which denomination would get hit the hardest? I'm afraid that in many cases it would be the independent fundamental Baptist that would get hit the hardest. I'm afraid it is. Now, I don't know that that's the case in our church. I'd like to think it isn't. Uh, But God does not like Pharisaicalism. He does not like it when we... Pretend we're one thing and we go off and live another and that's walking by sight that's walking by our flesh That's not walking by faith and the whole Christian life is going to be lived by faith now uh, last week We dove into the outline and uh, part of the struggle for me when we split it up over two weeks is that um, uh, We hit the theological in the beginning and then we don't get to the practical and I really like hitting the practical. So last week was a theology lesson on faith. This week, uh, when we get deeper into the outline, it's going to be a practical lesson on faith. And we're going to really hit the practical hard. The struggle there is when you get through a Bible study and it's all theology and people think, well, that's great theory, but how does that help me live? And the answer is it was in point four. We just didn't get to it. So uh, let's lay the groundwork and then we'll get into point four here. Number one, we looked at faith's explanation Faith's explanation, look we'll back at verse number one. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I admitted to the church last week that I've heard this verse my whole life. And up until I studied for this Bible study, I had no idea what that verse meant. I've heard it quoted my whole life, and I'm like, what does that even mean? Now, this is a smaller group, so please work with me. Please participate. How many of you, being honest have, like me, struggled with really understanding what that means. Would you raise your hand for me? You've struggled a little bit. The rest of you are just a lot smarter than I am. So uh, kudos to you. But uh, what does that mean? The substance of things hoped for. The substance of things hoped for. And so we looked at, A, the foundation of our faith, and then we looked at the forensics of faith. And we said that the foundation of our faith is the Bible. The Bible lays out for us all of the evidences, all of the um the substantive things for us. We talked about the thirty-nine or forty authors in the Bible, how that they wrote not one thing that contradicted itself How that um, it's a complicated book with no contradictions and every piece of science that's ever been in it is accurate. Every piece of history that's in it has been proven accurate. This is the substance that promises us the things that are hoped for and then the evidence or the forensics of things not seen. And I ask you, how many of you have ever seen the wind blow? Well, we've never seen wind, but we've seen evidences of the wind. You see leaves blowing across a yard or snow blowing across a a rooftop. So uh, we we can't see God, but we can see the evidences of God. Have you ever gone outside, looked up, and seen the, uh, the stars in the sky, how they form shapes? That didn't happen by accident. You ever seen a bird fly across the sky? That wasn't just... In accident, I saw a, a, a guy go into a pub, onto a public university campus, and he handed both science students and professors a four-color page book full of pictures, and each page had a page number. It was one of these big big picture books and had science in it, science pictures in it, things. And he would hand it to someone and say, what are the odds that this book formed here on this park bench over millions of years and that page numbers fell out of the sky and the wind blew the pages accordingly and they all landed right in the right spot, and they were in numerical order, and they were uh, uh, spaced in the right spot, and the ink fell out of the sky and landed and created these pictures. What, what it, Could that happen? And every one of them said, well, no, obviously that couldn't happen. And he said, if we were to take your DNA and turn that into data and put it into a book, it would stack paper-wise to the moon and back, and you want to tell me that that happened by accident it's just, we look at even our human bodies and that is the evidence of a creator. That we've never seen. But we know by all the evidences that God is real. And it takes more faith to not believe in God than it does to believe in God. So this is faith's explanation. It is it is substantive and there's a lot of evidence even though we've never directly seen God. Then we look at number two, faith's elevation. Look with, look with me at verse two. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Um, what did faith do to these folks? Now, all of the people mentioned, the elders mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, look over at chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed or surrounded about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Who is this great a cloud of witnesses? It's the people mentioned in chapter 11. It's those who were part of the hall of faith. And it could be others who are saved and died and gone on to heaven. But what do all of these people have in common? They did not walk by sight. They walked by faith. And they finished their race strong. Faith's elevation. Number three, we finish with faith's enlightenment. Look at verse 3. Through faith we understand that the world, worlds were formed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were made of things which do appear. How is it that we believe in a literal six-day creation? Well, faith opens our eyes to be able to see that and understand that. And someone who is walking by sight, uh, and I'm speaking uh, uh, those who are outside of salvation walking by sight, they have a hard time understanding how that God could make the earth uh, because they're too blinded by their own uh, pride. And so our, we, we become enlightened. We can see the Creator God when we walk by faith. I, I know all of you in here, and, and I've had conversations with all of you in here, and, and so I know when I say this, Everyone in the room can understand this. But I'm at a point in my life, I've worked through all these things. And I know all of you are as well. If we were to open that door right there and walk outside and look up in the sky and see the stars, we'd say, how do people not get it? How do people actually believe this all got here by accident? The reason why we can be so confident in a God is because we had faith to believe, and now that faith has helped us get to a place where it is As obvious as the nose on someone's faith, it has enlightened us. Let's move into the practical side of faith and look at point number four, faith's essentiality. Faith's essentiality. Look with me at verse number six, and let's see how essential faith is. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, must believe he exists. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, this verse has a double meaning. The second half has a double meaning. You cannot be saved if you don't believe that God is who he says he is. But it also talks about life after salvation. So you can't, you can't get into heaven without believing God is who he says he is. But then you cannot live a victorious Christian life if you don't continue to walk by faith. It is possible for people to be saved by faith, walk through the door of salvation by faith, and then live out the rest of their life by sight. That's what the Israelites did, is it not? They walked through the Red Sea by faith, and then when they got to the Promised Land, they did not have enough faith to enter, and so they wandered by sight. And a lot of Christians wander in a spiritual desert because they're not living their life by faith. The practical of their life Is not faith. God does not just want you to be saved by faith. He wants every action of your life to be lived by faith. That means you trust Him more than your own wisdom. Faith isn't just this mythical pie in the sky theory, faith is practical. Faith is you taking every detail of your life and putting God at the forefront. Every detail every last one. Let me give you an A through F here. And so we're going to do a more um, topical study. This has been an expository study up to this point, but the subpoints will all be topical. And let's talk about every detail. Now again, go back to verse 6. Without faith it is impossible to please him. I find it fascinating that 1 Corinthians 13 tells us now about faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. And then Hebrews 11 verse 6 says that it's impossible to please God with faith. It's like charity is one and faith is one A. They're both vital. They're both vital. I mean, you cannot be a true blue Christian and not walk by charity and not walk by faith. They both must be foundational to who you are. It ought to be that your neighbors know you're a man men or woman of faith. It ought to be your coworkers know that you're a man or woman of faith. It ought to be that those passing you in the mall or the grocery store uh, or Walmart know just by the look on your face, the way you carry yourself, the grace you live your life by, it ought to be very obvious that faith is just dripping off of you. Because whether you're picking out a brand of soap at the store, you're trying to decide what grocery store to go to, you're trying to decide what restaurant to eat at, all of these decisions, God wants you to put him at the forefront. And I'm going to show you that in Scripture. Now, with that said, this guy doesn't have it all figured out. If I'm driving on the road and I'm hungry and I want a burger, I don't generally bow my head and say, Lord, McDonald's or Burger King. Because he'd probably say neither. I'm just telling you the truth. He'd probably say, you don't need to be putting that junk in your body. I don't have this all figured out. And this is an area where I know I can grow, but I think it's an area we all probably can grow a little bit. So let's talk about categorically how God wants us to live by faith. From a broader sense, God wants every part of our heart. Now, I may not cover it all, but what I'm trying to do with these subpoints is just show you the... Broadness of scope that God is looking for us to walk by faith. Letter A, notice, with our treasure. With our treasure. Turn over to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be Matthew 6 for a little bit. And, and honestly, for now, uh, we're done with Hebrews 11. We may come back at the very end. But uh, Matthew chapter number 6. Turn there. We're going to look at a few different passages. Now, I, I would just say this up front. And most of you know me, all of you know me pretty well. I'm not a money preacher. I don't like preaching on money. Uh, I don't like talking about money. And it's really interesting to see how God has worked at White Oak Baptist Church. Um, and just I want to brag on the Lord for a minute. When I got here three and a half years ago, almost four years ago, the church owed close to 300000 on the mortgage. We had another ten to $12,000 in credit card debt. And so today we're debt free. Um, and that's a testament to not to me. Because I'm not the most financial savvy guy walking the planet. Um, That's a testament to the Lord. But I will say this about my style. I have seen preachers that preach on money all the time. And when you preach on money all the time, people just quit giving. They get tired of hearing about it. I don't like to preach on it. In fact, I should probably do more teaching on financial principles for life. It is an area that I I need to do do more with. Uh, But I, I have seen that as I have not pressed, God has just provided and God has sent the funds. And I, I love that about the Lord is he is taking care of our needs. And he continues to take care of our needs. And he doesn't need me to stand up there and, uh, and, and, and just, what's the term, uh, with the sheep, uh, uh, where you shear the sheep. He doesn't mean to shear the sheep every week. He doesn't mean me, need me to pick you up by the ankles and shake it all out of your pockets. Uh, he's able to, to show you what you ought to give. So please understand. This is not an attempt to come at your pocketbook. It's more of just an attempt to show you that even with our money, which is the thing we probably all value the most because it's an important necessity to life, God wants us to treat that with the utmost faith. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. And again, Jesus is teaching his famous Sermon on the Mount. It says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God says, show me where you spend your money, and I'll show you what's important to you. Um, on my banking app in my phone, I noticed, I'm uh, checking my account balance the other day, and I noticed there's a, a second tab that has just been added uh, to the app that had been updated, and it, I touched it, and it pulled up a wheel that showed me how I spend my money, and so I'm able to touch the different categories, and it spins around, and it tells me the, you know, the category and amount spent, and I was challenged by that to see how much we're spending on entertainment or how much we're spending on utilities or mortgage or uh, or eating out in the various areas. And uh, you can look at how a person spends their discretionary funds and you can tell what's important to them. Do you know the people who care the most about White Oak Baptist Church are the people who are giving the most at White Oak Baptist Church? And I'm not talking about giving the most as far as a dollar amount. I'm talking about giving the most as far as a percentage of their income. These are the people who really care the most about our church. Now, I don't know who does what giving. Uh, It may be that all of you in here give. It may be that none of you in here give. I don't know that. I don't want to know that. But I know this. The Lord knows. And you show me, uh, rather you show the Lord or show yourself how you give, and I'll show you what's important to you. Someone who's spending a lot of money on fishing equipment or hunting equipment, Their heart is into hunting. Uh, someone who spends money on eating out all the time, their heart is in dining out and and being a food critic. Someone who's investing money in the bus ministry at our church and putting money in the plate to help support that bus, boy, they're sitting up straight and tall and attentive during the bus report. They want to know how their funds are being used and helpful. Uh, someone who gives a lot of money in our missions program, when Pastor Morales on Wednesday evening is going over the missions report, they're they're hanging on every word because they. Want want to know how is my money that I'm putting in the plate helping souls be saved around the globe. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I have found that some of the people who complain the hardest and are the most disgruntled are some of the people who generally give the least. You give and all of a sudden you you care too much to mess things up with, uh, with your complaining. So put your money uh, where the Lord would have it and honor him in what we have learned. And I know this is cliche, it may be overused, but it's just a true statement. You cannot outgive God. Look down with me at uh, verse number 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Now, I, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I have struggled with understanding this verse. I, I don't understand how to hate money. I, I just haven't figured that one out yet. Um, am I too transparent? Sometimes I think I might be too transparent. Um, I, I, I want to be able to look at the Lord and say I don't love money, but I know I can't look at the Lord and say I hate it. Um, I, I want to be able to look at the Lord and say I love you, First. But see, the battle for many Christians is they want to try to love God and money at the same time. And God says, You can't. You can't love the pursuit of getting more cash, stockpiling cash, and love me. You can't. Now, this, if anyone other than Jesus had quoted verse 24, Boy, I'd have a hard time with it. But these are coming right from the words of God in the flesh. You cannot love God and money. And so the old adage is either money will be your boss or you will be the boss of your money. Who's in charge? Who's in charge? Um, Practically speaking, people who miss church for work, you have to stop and ask, what's what's your boss? Who are you a slave to? Are you a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ, or are you a slave to George Washington or Benjamin Franklin? Um, uh, people who, uh, they don't give God what's right, they give Him what's left. They give Him their leftovers. And unfortunately, God becomes the God of the leftovers. People tip God, and uh, they'll throw a 20 in the plate here, or a 20 in the plate there. And I feel like I can speak freely because I don't know who does what giving in here. But they just they tip the Lord. They just, they'll throw it here or there, and... And and I wish people would be honest and tip the Lord. Uh, when you go to a restaurant, you're supposed to give, what, an 18% tip? If people give 18% of their income, that'd be great. Uh, but when I say tip the Lord, they'll just throw a little bit in. There's a story about a man who uh, uh, went to church. His grandson was staying with him and talked him into going, and the old man didn't want to go, and he really just didn't have a heart for the things of the Lord, and so he sits through this church service, and you know, the special that morning was off key, and the choir was off timing with the piano, and the sermon went too long, and uh, the pastor fumbled with his notes, and, and, the, pa- and the, the old man when the offering plate came by, he just reached in his pocket and took what change he had, all he had was a nickel, he tossed the nickel in the plate when it came by, and... On the way home, the old man was just griping and complaining to his grandson. You know, I don't know why we went. That was a terrible service. And the little boy said, that's a pretty good show for a nickel. That's a pretty good show for a nickel. Um, so, uh, But but make sure that you are honoring the Lord with your finances. Here's a good question for yourself, for you to ask yourself. If if God were to come down in the form of the flesh, Jesus were to come down and sit at your dining room table with you and have a, your bank statement in his hand. What would you be embarrassed about? What would you change? Anything. Are you spending your money by faith or are you not even considering God in the equation? Letter A with our treasure, letter B with our things. Look down to verse number 25. Therefore I say unto you, take. No thought for your life, what ye shall eat, what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, neither gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet, I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? And look at the rebuke here. O oh, ye of little faith. Um, With our things. Look down at verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Look at the wording here. And all these things, these things shall be added unto you. See, we we get the cart before the horse. We'll put things first and God second. And God says, "My, your things I supply for you when you put me first. You see that we go through life and we accrue things, and then those things become paramount in our life, and God gets second place. And I I've, I've just have to say, any good thing I have, any material object I have that I enjoy that's good, it is a gift from God. So I want to accrue that, living my life in obedience to the Lord, not living my life in contradiction of the Lord and going about getting it my way instead of getting it his way. We have a problem in our country where our wants have become our needs. Where we think we need more than we actually need. And I don't want to get into the weeds of what that means, but needs and wants are two totally different things. And I'll correct my children. And I'll even correct myself. Oh, I need that. And I'll say, do you, do you really need that? I have to have that, Dad. Well, what would happen if you didn't get it? Well, I mean, I don't have to have it. Okay. Well, words mean something. So pick your words carefully. You would like to have it. It would be a joy to have. It would make you happy. But let's not covet. Let's not live a covetous lifestyle. Um for much of my young adult life, I was in love with tech. I guess I still am on some level. And I had to have the latest, greatest phone that came out. And I would drool over the iPhone releases. And I would watch the whole keynote. And, oh, man, I, you know, my phone's 11 months old. It still operates great. But I've got to have the newest one now. And, and, and there was a lust there. There was a covetousness there. Uh, and, and look, if you can go out and buy the latest phone, hey, that's great. That's not the issue. Having the latest grace isn't the issue. It's the heart behind why you get it. And it's getting it without walking by faith. It's not basking that thing in prayer. Let me take it a step further here. Um, everything I own and everything you own belongs to the Lord. That means the bed you sleep in is property of God. The house that you live in is property of God given to you to steward. The clothes that you wear. The car that you drive. The, the New Testament early church, they fully got this. They were selling their properties and giving the amount of money to the church. And the welfare system, if you will, was not run by some government. It was run by the church. Now, let me just speak to that for a minute. Uh, I wish we could get back to that. I would have to hire a whole new staff or rather add to the staff. But imagine if instead of sending a percentage of your money to the government so that they could help the poor, instead the, the poor were helped through local churches. This is God's plan, by the way. You see this in the New Testament. This is God's plan that poor people, they don't go to the government to get help. They go to the church house to get help. And when they're there, instead of giving the money to enable them, they're given money based on the terms of being taught. And what's the old adage? I think it was Aristotle that said, give a man a fish and you'll feed him for a day, teach a man to fish and you'll feed him for a lifetime. And giving the welfare system through the church or that help through the church instead allows a church leader to sit down with a man and say, let me teach you how to fish. We'll give you some money to help you get by and then you can take care of yourself. Now, that's not how our government is set up and that's not the reality of how it's probably ever going to be here, but please understand that was God's original intent. And because of that, the wealthy in the church were selling off things that were luxuries and giving the money to the church. What were they doing? They were seeking first the kingdom of God. I am amazed how that will uh, will ask for people, will say, uh, who can take a missionary out to eat? And we have a hard time pulling people in. Hey, we need an extra vehicle for a missionary to drive around. And, oh, that's my car. I, I can't let them drive my car. And... Um, uh, and look, I'm not preaching at you. I, I am clingy to my things too. Seek first the kingdom of God, and he'll provide for your things. Do you trust God with your treasure? Are your things God's first and your second? Or are your things your first and no, uh, nobody else's? We need to trust him with our things. Let her see. Trust him with our tomorrows. With our tomorrows. Go back to Matthew chapter 6. Look at verse 31. Take therefore no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Look down at verse 34. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now, I believe this is an advanced version of Christian faith, where... You're not at all concerned about how God's going to provide. You say, well, well, pastor, outside of this one passage, what evidence is there that we're to trust God with our tomorrows? Do you remember where Jesus in his, his prayer, his model prayer, he said, give us this day our daily bread, our daily bread. Yes, I have bread in the, in the cabinet at home. We have bread in the cabinet at home, but I'm to get up every day and ask for God to provide for the bare basics. You know what that does? That grounds me in a reality that I didn't earn that. God gave me the strength to earn it with my tomorrows. A lot of times we lay in bed at night and we wring our hands and we worry and we're concerned about how some situation is going to play out. Last night I tossed and turned for a couple hours where I fell asleep. Over um, a burden i 'm carrying for someone, and then it woke me up in the middle of the night, and I woke up again thinking about it and i 'm not complaining i 'm glad to be able to do that, but this is something that 's very near and dear to my heart right now, and at some point last night, I had to pillow my head and look up toward the sky and say, "Lord, I need to leave this in your lap. I need to sleep. I have to work tomorrow." I have a lot I need to get done tomorrow, Lord, and this is, this is not anything I can fix laying in bed. I need to trust you with it, that you have this under control. Do we trust Him with our tomorrows? And here you can see people are not doing the work of the Lord. They're not seeking first the kingdom of God, because they're trying to provide for tomorrow. And God says, you do all you can, To provide for tomorrow, but first you seek me, and I will give you the priority of taking care of your tomorrows. Are we trusting God with our future? That's really the point. Are we planning our future, or are we trusting him with our future? Uh, It's best we live our life one day at a time. Letter D, with our thoughts. We must trust him with our thoughts. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 3. Let's leave Matthew 6. Proverbs chapter 3. And verse number 5. These are verses we probably uh, all in here have memorized. But turn over there, uh, just humor me, and turn over there anyway. I know them, and I'm turning there too. So do it with me. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. And in fact, let's back up to verse number 1 here. i just keep you on your toes a little bit. All right. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments, or length of days, and long life, and peace shall they add to thee. And so you can see from the very beginning, I have in my Bible length of days circled. Long life circled. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. That's, that's There's a natural tension between mercy and truth. And we're to hold on to both of them and live with them in balance. Bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart, Master those two. Uh, So shalt thou find favor. I want that. I think you want that. And good understanding in the sight of God and man. Look at verse 5 and 6. Let's read them together. Ready? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. So there's a little bit of this trusting God with our tomorrows in verse 6. But look at verse 5, and we see we're to trust him with our thoughts Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. So, not only our intellect, but our emotion. Our emotion. Do you know the greatest misleader of a person away from God is what their emotions tell them to do? Now, I'm not a guy that gets up and preaches against Disney. Uh, If you go to Disney, I don't really care, right? If you let your kids watch Disney Junior, whatever. I'm not... My kids watch Disney Junior. And I know some people, I believe the previous pastor bashed on Disney a lot. But whatever, okay? That was his prerogative. Um, But this whole narrative of follow your heart, that's not biblical. The Bible tells us about our heart, doesn't it? It's deceitful. It's It's wicked. It's deceitful. And when our emotions lead us, boy, we end up in a ditch. Don't miss this. Some people do away with emotions and they focus on their intellect and what logic and past experiences tell them to do. And if you're leaning on emotion or logic apart from the Lord, your life is going to end up in a spiritual ditch. Instead, we're to trust the Lord with our heart, lean not into our own understanding. Do you know that doesn't, and please hear me, that doesn't just apply to decisions at church. This verse is not just written for the pastor when it comes to his future planning for the direction of the ship of White Oak Baptist Church and the treacherous seas ahead. That's not just for me, and that's not just for our deacons, and it's not just for your Sunday school or life group leaders. This is for you at work. You say, well, I don't do spiritual work. It doesn't matter. The Lord wants you to give every thought and every emotion to him and he wants to guide you you're to acknowledge him you're to put him at the forefront and i've used this before but if you have multiple ways you can get to work and they're all about the same it's a good idea before you pull out of the driveway that you bow your head and say lord which way would you have me go today i need to get gas on the way home from work lord which gas station would you have me go to so that I, I look, we're creatures of habit. I'm a creature of habit. I have my gas station. I like to stop at, and, uh, and 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 I go there. And it's not a very nice gas station, but it's my habit. All right. But but there are 25 gas stations between here and my house. Lord, which one would you have me to stop at? Because the Lord may have you reach in your pocket and take out a gospel track and encourage somebody with that. Do you know? In the last six months, I've given gospel tracks out to some people who have stopped and wept. Because they didn't think anyone cared about them? Is it all that handing out tracts? That's for that old-fashioned, fundy Baptist stuff. No, it's not. This world is hurting. And we have a message of hope. And I can look someone in the eye and say, when you get a minute, can you read this? The Lord cares for you. He loves you. And I've had people, what is this? They want to know. They're curious. But we don't tell, you know, because we're not thinking in a spiritual direction. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. I don't want my ride home from work to not please the Lord because I did it on my own. I don't want uh, I don't want uh, the gas station I stopped at and God to scratch his head and say, I had someone prepared for you over here that I wanted you to be an encouragement to. But you were busy getting gas over here or going to that mechanic or getting insurance from that agent over there and... And I wanted you to share your faith with this insurance agent, but you just went with what your own intellect told you. I'm trying to make this super practical. God does not want us to lean on us. He does not want us to lean on our own understanding. How do we get understanding? We get understanding from our past experiences. We get understanding for what's logical to us. How many of you get that common sense is not very common? You understand why? Because people come from different backgrounds, and those backgrounds bring them to a different place. Listen, I'll sit in a deacon's meeting with our three men who I love and are like-minded with. Do you know we don't agree on everything every time? And there are times, and two of them are sitting in here right now, there are times where I'm sitting there thinking, "What, what don't they get? How do they not get this? No, I don't voice that. I'm kind. But, you know, they come from a different background, have a different set of experiences, and they see it a different way. And what would be common sense to me isn't common sense to them. And men, multiple times I have looked at you and said, I can think of at least one occasion off the top of my head, let's table this, let's pray about it, let's let the Lord lead us. Because it's not my understanding, it's His. I'll put it to you like this. I'm finite in my understanding. I used to be this, this know-it-all right? And I remember the moment the Lord humbled me as a know-it-all. I was sitting in a church on a Wednesday evening uh, on a church trip with some kids, and this was a really small church and, you know, a casual church, and they had, not very first class, they had a old white marker board with stains all over it uh, up there. And the pastor didn't really have an order of service. And he gets up there and he's doing his Bible study and he draws a big circle like a professor on a board. And he he picked a kid in the crowd who was like 20 years old. And he said, I'm going to move my hand down the circle. Now this circle represents all of the knowledge of the world. Everything there is to know in the world. I'm going to start up here and I'm going to move my arm down when you think that What's above my hand represents what you know. Say, stop. And he moved his hand half an inch, and the kid said, stop! And I thought, wow. I really don't know much. We really don't know much. Why would you lean on your own understanding when there's a God in heaven who knows everything? And he wants you to go to him so he can give you that wisdom. We must trust him with our thoughts. Letter E, we must trust him with our talents. Let's finish out the outline here. John chapter 15 verse 6, Jesus says, Without me, ye can do nothing. What talent do you have? Are you a people person? Are you a task-oriented person? Uh, Maybe you're good at uh, whatever it is you do at work. You're professional in that area. God wants you to trust him with those things. You might have an inclination towards sports or towards pets or toward art. Uh, You might have an inclination toward um, teaching folks or convincing people. Whatever it is, God wants you to take those talents and he wants you to trust him with him. He wants you to put him at the forefront of that. Letter F, we must trust him in our travels. James chapter 4. Turn over there lastly. James chapter 4 verse 13 and 14. That'll put us right back near Hebrews. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. Look at verse number 13. Go to now ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue their year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. These people that move around all over the place to whatever is the best money-making opportunity. God says, don't make your decisions based on what is best for your pocketbook. You make your decisions based on prayer and faith and trusting me. These people were going from one city to the other based on what would be the best boost for their, their own economics. And God says, what are you doing? That's wicked. You know the phrase, um, "If the Lord, if the Lord wills, I'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing, Lord willing." That is a very, very biblical statement. Lord willing, I'll do that tomorrow. What you're saying, you are acknowledging God. In your travels and in your plans. If it is the Lord's will, I will see you tomorrow. If it is the Lord's will, I will do that. And that is, an, that is an indication I'm going to pray about this and seek God's face. So don't just throw that phrase out flippantly. Say it, but go forth and live it. The point I'm trying to drive at here, and look, A through F does not cover every, every area of life. We could probably come up with a G through Z to cover the rest of them. They wouldn't all start with the letter T. But we could come up with a G through Z that would cover the rest of them. The greater point here is that no matter what it is you think, no matter what it is you say, no matter what it is you do, you are to put God at the forefront. That is the practicality of faith. Without, poss- without faith, it is impossible to please Him. The, number five, and lastly, notice faith's examples. Faith's examples. Um, and uh, we're... This is... Uh, uh, let's see, there's a game show, Wheel of Fortune, you know, Pat Sajak and Vanna White, right? And they have ca- a category called before or Before and after, where the middle word both ties into, you know, two, two phrases that are melded together, and the middle word will be connected to both. This is a before and after type point. Faith's examples is going to launch us into a whole series or into a whole lengthy Bible study that we'll begin next week. What, is, what do I mean by faith's examples? Well, all of the rest of Hebrews 11 gives us name after name after name of people who lived by faith and did it in a little bit different of ways. And so 4 and 5, it talks about uh, Abel versus Cain and uh, talks about Enoch, and then seven through forty goes through all of the rest of the Old Testament um, uh, characters, the patriarchy who lived and matriarchy who lived by faith. And so, we're going to take one or two of them a week, and we're going to look at how they lived their life by faith. And we'll begin that next week. I find it interesting. I'll just say this now, and as a precursor to next week, I find it interesting that he begins talking about salvation in verse 4 and 5. Do you know that Satan's lie of a works-based salvation began all the way back with Cain and Abel? Abel brought a faith sacrifice. Cain brought a works sacrifice. And that battle has been going on ever since in the world. So let's go forth this week and do our best to do everything by faith. To walk by faith, not by sight. And remember, without faith it's impossible to please him. I hope that's been a challenge to you. Let's stand together for a word of prayer, and we will be. This-